Ready or not, here we come. It's good to see everyone. Welcome to Watch Free Road. Welcome our live stream folks, Fellowship Center, uh, all of our church family together. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, by the way, I'll just say, man, the, uh, uh, the children's ministry did an awesome job. I came up here Saturday morning to breakfast for with Santa or whatever, and uh, I, I did not sit on his lap and ask for anything. Uh, I was tempted to, but uh, uh, I, the, the decoration, the fun that had, the kids had, the, uh, just the smiles and everything, it was just great to see our church fan. Thank you, children's ministry. Did a great job. Landon Austin, come on up here and read scripture for us, brother. Landon is uh, quite the musician. He uh, a lot of times plays in our worship band on the other side. He uh, also, by the way, had a great accomplishment uh, recently. Uh, uh, Landon completed being an Eagle Scout. That is a great accomplishment. Yes. And now he's going to share scripture with us this morning. Um, It's from Matthew 25, uh, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Thank you, bro. Isn't that what we all want to hear? Come, take this inheritance I've had created it from the beginning of the world for you. Uh, you know, if that was the only verse in that these two chapters that we're going to study about, it'd just be great. Because uh, we're in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. And I thought a hundred different ways how to do this text because 24 is one of the most, uh, they say, one of the most difficult texts in the Bible to deal with. And uh, in, in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, he's going to deal with a couple of things. He's going to deal with the end of, uh, of the Jewish situation with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. So you have an I-N, end time judgment. Then he's also going to deal with, in chapter 25, the end, E-N-D, of the world. And But the language is very much similar to each other because that's what judgment language is like. It's written, to give you just a little bit, uh, heads up, there's a, some apocalyptic literature, and that word kind of gets hijacked to being a thousand different things. But basically, there's language that's used as kind of picture language, not literal, but picture language, to give a message of something, and it's used in terms of judgment. The prophets used it a lot in terms of God bringing judgment on nations, I-N, in time. And he's going to turn around and do this again in this chapter. Jesus pulls from that out of the the Hebrew and uses it. But what happens is with us, we get really confused because we don't have a Jewish background, a Hebrew background. We get real confused about what applies to the end of the world and what applies to their end time judgment. Okay, just want you to know the confusion that's going to you're going to get into. But but there's some things I want you to walk away with that's totally clear and not confuse. And basically, I don't care when God brings judgment, you better be ready. Did you ever play hide and seek as a kid? And somebody would go over and count in the corner and they would say what? Ready or not? What? Here I come. 
Basically, Jesus says this message to the entire world, ready or not, here I come. Now, he comes in two ways. He's going to come in judgment. That's why you see phrases like the Son of Man coming, referring to an I-end-time judgment. The prophets used it that way. Uh, Revelation uses it that way. When, when Jesus says, I'm going to come and take out your candlestick, he's not talking about the end of the world. He's talking about that church, right? Got it? So that phrase gets used that way. But then there's also what happens when the Son of Man comes at the end of time. Now, uh, so that's a, uh, I thought a lot of different ways. Okay, how am I going to cover these two chapters? And it's such, it's a, such a confusing text a lot of times that makes sense for people. So I thought I would just do it backwards. So Matthew chapter 25. You thought I was kidding, didn't you? Matthew chapter 25, the last verse. You can't get any more backwards than this right here. I know some of you said, well, Mike, we thought you were backwards. Well, you're right. And here we go. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. He's just told a story of the sheep and the goats and separating them as an illustration of the end of the world. And he says, then they will go away to eternal, anybody there? Punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. You have eternal what? And you have eternal Okay, simple enough, right? When Jesus comes back, things are going to be separated. You've got eternal, and you've got eternal life. All right, we know this is the end of the world. This is what's going to happen. All right, so that's the sheep and goats section. Now, now look at the last verse of, the, uh, of another section of the book here in verse 30. Remember when he tells this story of all the talents. These men have five talents, two talents, one talent. And he comes down to it and he says uh, that the guy that had one talent and buried it and didn't use it. And throw that worthless servant. Key here. Talents is not about the talent being worth something. It's about the person being worth something. Throw the worthless servant outside into darkness where there will be, what? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me see you gnash your teeth. Uh, let's say uh, some of you, you're, you're pretty weak at gnashing. But your wife could probably clear that up. She could probably, she's probably seen that before. Uh, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the end of the world. This is where punishment happens. We get eternal punishment, eternal life. Worthless servant, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, verse 13 of chapter 25, you have the parable of the ten virgins. Remember this? They gave me oil in my lamp, keep it. Yeah, because when it burns out too quick, you're in trouble. You can't get any oil from anybody. Try to buy, try to buy oil lately. It's expensive and nobody wants to give it to you free, right? All right, so they run into this problem. And they're not ready when he comes. And he says at the end of this story, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So guess what? There's going to be eternal punishment, eternal life. There's going to be worthless servants, and they're going to, they're going to experience weeping and gnashing of teeth. And for those who are not ready, 
you, you better get ready because you do not know the day or the hour. What do we not know? The day or the hour. What do we not know? The day or the hour. So if anybody tells you, I know the day, just go ahead and forget listening to them. Got it? They do not know the day or the hour. It's impossible. I'm on, matter of fact, we're going to see that a little bit more. Uh, backing up again. Uh, the uh, last verse of uh, chapter 24. So this is talking about not knowing this situation and a faithful master and finding this servant that's not doing right, living right. And he says he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here you go. The end of the world. Somebody that's not prepared, not faithful to Jesus, this is your existence. You sometimes got to realize the bad news before you can even appreciate the good news. Yes, there is a hell. And yes, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth at the end of the world. Make no doubt about it. Jesus is clear on this teaching. Now, verse 36, Matthew 24. Let's find out something else about the end of the world. No one knows. How many know? No one. No one knows about the day or hour... Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. Now that's odd. Not even the Son, but only the Father. The end of the world, nobody knows. Not only do humans not know it, the angels don't know it. Even the Son doesn't know it. Which is very strange to me. But who knows it? The Father. He's the only one. Okay, got it? So we know all this, without a doubt, is the end of the world. Eternal punishment, eternal life. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, twice mentioned. You better be ready. Nobody knows when it's going to happen. No one. Not even angels. Not, not, not even the Son. Only the Father knows matter of fact he says as it was in the days of noah so it's going to be the coming of the son of man remember in those days they're just going about doing all their regular daily business and nobody expects it nobody understands when he talks about this is how it'll be at the coming of the son of man two men will be in the field one will be taken one will be left he's left he ain't left behind he's just left the picture is not about a literal man being left on the earth. The picture he's painting is that when Jesus comes in the second coming, that there is a division that takes place between those who are right with God and those who are not right with God. And it's a surprise visit, just like in the days of Noah, people are going to be doing all their regular stuff and boom, it happens, they're not ready. Two women will be at the hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. It's not about the physical person being there. Remember, this judgment language and picture he's painting is that there is a division about who's with God and who's not with God. 
And look at verse 42. Therefore, keep watch because, here it is again, you do not know what day your Lord will come. You don't know it. Verse 44. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect it. Okay. That gets the, a lot of the end of the world stuff. But what about end time? During this picture that Jesus is painting about the Jews in Jerusalem that we're going to pick up now in, in, the, in the first part of, of 24, what about that? What happens with that and how, what does it mean to me as a Christian? Now, let me, let me make this really clear in terms of... Uh, understanding a couple of things about signs at the end of time when jesus comes, is there a sign it's not a trick question did anybody just listen to the verses we just read is there a sign are people going to be able to look out and say there's a sign he's coming no there is no sign there is no expectation and there is no time to know so here's, here's the big key to helping you out here. There are signs for the end, end time judgment. There are no signs for the end of time judgment. Matter of fact, there are signs and time for end judgment, I end. There are no signs or time for the end of judgment. And this is what gets everybody messed up. People always want to look around, especially contemporary happens and say, man, there's earthquakes, there's this happening, there's wars, there's rumors of wars. All this must be the end of the world. There are signs. Wait a minute. Who's going to be able to read and see signs until it's the end of the world? No one. Not even angels. Not even the Son of Man. I'll tell you what. You put yourself up as somebody that can predict the end of the world. You just put yourself above Jesus. You think about that a minute. Think about that. If you're going to claim you can tell when the end of the world is coming and you see signs and I can decipher all that out of prophecy and I can tell you when you've just put yourself knowing more than Jesus Christ. You know, I can't go that route. You'll have to find somebody else to follow you on that one. Got it? In judgment in time in history, Jesus gives signs and a time. He's going to say, you're going to see two signs. You're going to see the abomination, the desolation. You're going to see that. That's going to be a sign of the destruction of Jerusalem. And it's going to happen before this generation passes away. You've got a sign and you've got a time. With the end of the world, you have no sign and you have no time. Got it? All right. Now, let's back up to chapter 24, verse 1. See if we can make sense of this rest of this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Now, these buildings were massive, hundreds and hundreds of yards, huge blocks, uh, massive gold. I mean, it's just unbelievable, the temple and the buildings there. And he said, do you see all these things? Uh, he says, I'll tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another, everyone will be thrown down. This whole thing's coming down. This temple, 
that's coming down, this city's coming down. Luke makes it even a little bit clearer that it's actually Jerusalem and this is what's fixing to happen when he gives the, uh, the other account on it when Jesus says the same thing to them. There's no doubt. In history, when Titus and the Roman uh, powers that be came in there to besiege that city and surround it and eventually to destroy the temple and Jerusalem, uh, uh, history's going to tell you Rome did that. Jesus is going to tell you God did that. Just like when Nebuchadnezzar carried off the people, the, the history says Nebuchadnezzar carried off uh, all those slaves, Daniel, all those people. And God's word says, no, God orchestrated that to bring judgment on folks. So Jesus is telling them this whole thing's fixing to blow up. So Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. Uh, you'll see a lot of times people will write, this is the Olivet Discourse or that kind of thing. This is this, what he's speaking when he gathered up there on the Mount. Uh, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? What? What did he just say? Do you ever have your parents say that? What did I just say? I can imagine Jesus sometimes to these disciples saying, uh, uh, boys, what, what did I just say? You know, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Now, some people think there's three questions here. Some think there's two. Uh, a lot of writers think there's just one. They're just saying, because they get mixed up too, right? They're disciples, and they, Jesus said, this whole thing's coming down. And they're like, hey, uh, when's this going to happen? How can we tell what's happening? That's all they're saying. And, it, and to them, in their lifetime, if they see it, it's going to feel like the end of the world. And Jesus answered Watch out that no one deceives you. And I would echo that warning to us today. For many will come in my name claiming I'm Christ and will deceive many. And you'll hear wars and rumors of wars. And see to it that you're not alarmed. Don't get too fired up about that. And yet that's exactly the thing a lot of religious leaders love to get people fired up about. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Which end? Destruction of Jerusalem. This is what he's talking about in the context. And, and by the way, as he starts using this apocalyptic language out of the Old Testament prophets about end time judgment. Remember this. All this happens for one reason. Not just to punish people who have left God. But also to, to also to drive them to accept the Messiah. He loved them. Remember what we said last week? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, I'd like to gather you in like chicks and then love on you, right? Remember that? Jesus loved the Jew. The problem is they trusted in the temple, the city, and the teachings of the Pharisee. For their hope. And Jesus is going to remove all that to say the only hope is the Messiah. Don't trust in that. Trust in him. That's the message to these guys. Okay. And the only way is he's going to help drive them out of quit trusting in that Jewish background is to destroy the temple and the city. To drive them to believe in the Messiah. Because not only is punishment coming for those that were unholy, 
Hope is given to God's elect. And he's going to tell them, if you'll just stand firm to the whole thing, you'll be okay. It'll be all right. All right, so these things are going to happen. There's going to be, look, at any time in history, you can look around the world and you can find natural disasters, right? You can find earthquakes. You can find uh, things falling apart. You can find the the volcanoes erupting any time. So any nation in the world could turn around and say in their particular context, hey, it seems like it's into the world. How many times has that been said, by the way, over history? Tons. What did Jesus say? Don't pay attention to that. It's not true. <laughs> Don't forget, he just told them. Don't pay attention. That's not, that's not what's happening here. All right. He says, matter of fact, to them, you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the truth, be betray, hate each other. False prophets will appear, deceive people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Some people are going to have a tough time with it, he says. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. End of what? Not the end of the world. End of Jerusalem. Did the gospel go to the whole nation? Well, according to Colossians one twenty three, yeah. Paul said it went to every creature, every nation under heaven. The gospel was preached within this time, Peter, before 40 years later this destruction happens. Jesus tells them the gospel is going to be preached. Actually, you're the one going to do it. And when you do it, you're going to, they're going to crucify you. I mean, you're going to die for it. You're going to be persecuted for it. You're going to be spoke bad about it. I mean, but you've got to hang in there and stand firm. You'll be saved. It'll be okay. And then after you've done your preaching... And you've gone through this and stand firm. This this end of this is going to come. Why? To drive the Jew to the Messiah. All right. So when, verse 15, it's going to give us a timeline. So when you see standing in the holy place, that's Jerusalem, the temple, the abomination that causes desolation, it's just big words to say something terribly unholy has 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 made light of the temple of holiness. When the, when you see that spoken of through the prophet Daniel, so now we know who talked about it. Well, when you go back to Daniel nine, you find out the prophecy of Daniel was the destruction of Jerusalem. Then those who are in Judea, let them get flee to the mountains. Uh, this is interesting to me. Look, uh, let no one go uh, get down off the roof and go take anything out of his house. Let no one on the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be for those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray your flight not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. Uh, then there will be this great distress. Look, what's he saying? Let me ask you something. This is just, just a common sense. I'm not real smart, and I know there's a lot of people smarter than me that studied all these verses here, have different opinions. But let's, let me ask you this. If it's the end of the world, does it really do you any good? To run to the mountains. I mean, just think about it. Does it? Does it really do you any good just to quickly leave your coat? Don't go back and get your coat. Just leave out there and get out of town. Does that really do you any good? If it's the end of the world? It's in context, guys, it's just not the end of the world. 
This is a destruction. And the Jews understood this. We have a hard time. I wish Joseph Shulam was here to preach on 24. We should have had him back. He could have helped me a lot. The context is the Jews having their religious system destroyed and any hope of going back to you, they couldn't use uh, uh, their genealogies, they couldn't use their sacrifice, they couldn't use their priesthood. All that is gone. only place they can appeal now to be made holy is the Messiah, the Holy One. So while this uses judgment language or picture language, Language like the sun turns blood red, the moon, all that kind of thing. He's going to get into some of it a little bit later. That judgment language is just saying the severity of the destruction for the Jewish system is one that will never be reversed. There will never be a restoration of the temple of God in a city called Jerusalem. Why? Because you're the temple of God. You and I have become the representative of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit does not dwell in buildings built by men's hands. He dwells in the hearts of men who have submitted their hearts to the Lordship of Jesus. So that's why when you see phrases, and here's what's difficult about the text, because he uses phrases that apply to judgment time any time it happens. For example, look here. This is the most difficult one, verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east, it's visible, even in the west. By the way, that gives you a little hint right there. It's visible. Is, is the coming of Jesus visible to us? Well, I guess not, since Paul said it's a twinkling of an eye. And it happens suddenly. No one expects it. You can't look at the east and say, there it comes. There is no sign. There is no time. Here he says, you're going, to, you're going to look and see this happening. Now, this is not a physical per, uh, thing happening from the east to the west. Remember, this is picture language in apocalyptic literature that's just painting this. And from the east, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, what's he coming for? He's coming to bring destruction on Jerusalem. History's going to tell you the Roman Empire did it. Jesus is telling you, now, God, I used the Roman Empire to do this. Wherever there's carcass, there's vultures that'll gather. And then look at this word. Immediately. Now this word is used 25 times in the book of Matthew. I think it's 17 in the book of Luke. And I forget how many in Mark. Uh, and John only uses it like two times. And, and every time when this word immediately is used, it's to, it's to tie together close action to the next action that he describes. In other words, immediately this happens and immediately something else happens. Got it? This gives you a time significance that's important. 2,000 years is not immediate. Immediately after the distress of those days. What days? Then the destruction of Jerusalem. The sun will be darkened. Here's your op- uh, apocalyptic language. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The heavenly bodies will be shaken. Did that physically happen? No. Has that phrase been used about the judgment in time by the prophets over and over toward God's people? Yes. It's used over and over to describe judgment in time. And it could be used to describe the end of time, too. It's just saying things are going to be different here. 
There's judgment is happening. And at that time, what time? Destruction of Jerusalem. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man. Wait a minute, I thought there wasn't a sign. Well, there's not a sign of the Son of Man at the end of the world. Signs come with judgment I end time. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. The nations of the earth will mourn. They'll see that this is, again, picture language of judgment. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call. All this judgment language sounds like the end of the world, right? And look, I, 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 wouldn't, get, I wouldn't get too fired up about arguing this one way or another with people. I'm okay if you take a different position, okay? Uh, I give you grace to be wrong about this. No, no, that's that's said in jest, please. I can be totally wrong about it myself. All right. Uh, they'll gather the, he'll gather the elect from the four winds and one of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. And basically he says, with the fig tree there's a sign. You have leaves and, they're, and they don't last too long. And here's what happens and you have fruit. There's a sign, there's a time and sign attached to the fig tree. The end of the world, you do not have a sign or a time attached to it. Then he says this, verse 34, I'll tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth pass away, but my word won't. What is he saying to the disciple? This this generation, this is happening, and it's happening now. Right after all this stuff happens, immediately after that, you've got this judgment happening. And when you see this abomination of desolation, judgment is coming in time. And it's going to happen before this generation is over. You have sign and time because it's in time judgment. When it's the end of the world, you have no sign and you have no time. You think I've said that enough times? All right. So what does he tell them? He tells them to stand firm, be faithful, and be ready. Look, the same message is the same message to us today. Regardless of how you decipher all this... By the way, there's not but one second coming of Jesus Christ. Now he, 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 it's worded like he comes in time with judgment. He's using things to bring judgment. But in terms of Jesus Christ physically breaking through those clouds and being with us, there's one time. It's appointed the man wants to die after that, the judgment. There's one time, the end of time, when he comes again. He doesn't come again and come again and come again. You'll read a hundred different doctrines about this kind of thing if you dig into this. My advice is don't do it. You've got more important things to do. But, uh, but what he, basically the message is clear to the disciples. When you go through this tough time, stand firm, stand faithful, and stand ready. Another reason, by the way, you know he's talking to them about end time judgment. Because you know what he told them in Acts chapter 1 verse 7? It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his authority. It ain't, basically, he just tells them, they say, when, what's, when the kingdom of God is going to take place? And he just says, it ain't none of your business. 
God's got this. That's what he tells them in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, when he gets ready to go change the world with them. Now, let's get a little bit of quick application in chapter 25 before we wrap up here. Back to the sheep and goats story. I think there's something very practical to us here. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He'll sit on His throne on heavenly glory. I don't know what heavenly glory looks like, but He's sitting on it. All the nations will be gathered before Him. He'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. They'll put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the king will say, those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance to the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Now listen to this. Everybody listening? I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord. When do we see you hungry or, or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when do we see you a stranger and invite you in and needing clothes, clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, ready? i tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Here's what I really want you to get out of this whole thing. Forget about the confusion of judgment and the end of time and all that kind of mess. His message here is how do we act as we watch and wait for the coming of Jesus? How do we live our life? And here's how he says you live it. You teach Jesus to people. He's the hope of the world. Second, you be Jesus to people. You act like Jesus in all you do with people. Third, you see Jesus in people. Now, this is the harder one. So when that person walks up to you and they look poor and dirty and homeless and you don't know if they're scamming you or not and they're trying to get something out of you, And they're hungry and they're thirsty and they don't have clothes. We teach Jesus to them. We be Jesus to them. But we see Jesus in them because he said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to who? Me. Because in that person that's broken and messed up in their life, And some of you have been that way. Some of you are that way. We've all been that way. That Jesus sees somebody created, and we need to see somebody created in the image of God with the potential of being Jesus to the world. So this last week I was in New Orleans visiting with some of the church leadership on Wednesday. And after after, uh, Wednesday night... Got back to the hotel, stand on Canal Street. Somebody, I said, I need to get some good food while I'm down here. It's all about food and music in New Orleans, right? So this, uh, I went to this place, and they were uh, they weren't taking any more people. Eight thirty, nine o'clock. They weren't sitting in more in this nice restaurant, and so 
They said, I said, well, what do you recommend? And she told me up the street here. It was on Barbon Street. Say, so go up Barbon Street here, and there's a, a, a restaurant. I forget what the name of it was. Something maybe something something 44 seafood and oyster place or whatever. I said, all right, I'll go down there. I had my Speak Jesus shirt on. I didn't know if that was dangerous or safe. Just happened to have it on from that night. I didn't really, it wasn't like a lot of strategy there. But so I'm walking down there. It's crowded. It's packed because the next day they're playing the Cowboys who won. Uh, we won't talk about that too much. Uh, but that's all packed full. There are people, you know, they're drinking, hollering. They're, you know. And so I'm standing in line with about four people in front of me to get into this restaurant. This young girl walks up, obviously from the street, asked me for money. And I, I didn't have any change. I said, I tell you what, uh, I, 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 I'm going in here to eat. And when I come out, I'll get change. I'll bring, I'll bring you something. She said, I'll, I'll be here. I'll wait for you. I'll be here. I said, I'll be here in an hour. I said, well, I have no idea how long the line take or whatever, but I mean, I'll be glad to help you. And I came out fully expecting her to be there, and she wasn't there. But I saw a lot of people like that. Now, this was December the 2nd, which I had already texted Trent about how important that date was for him, for that's when his life turned around. And I looked and I thought, that person, Trent was homeless, broken on the streets of New Orleans. She might have been the next Trent. Or the guy with the sign over there might have been the next preacher of the gospel somewhere. Or the person. You have to see Jesus in people. Jesus is there. When you feed that person, you're feeding Jesus. When you give that somebody starving to death something, you're doing it to Jesus. We teach Jesus. We be Jesus. But we have to see Jesus in the broken people in this world. And the potential they have to become Jesus-like as they become disciples of Christ. The hope through any judgment. It's found in one name and one name only. Salvation is found in one name and one name only. The name of Jesus. That's why when people make a life change, we celebrate it. Because this is like we took the most broken person in the world off the back streets of New Orleans and watched them turn their life around. Not because of us, but because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So before we wrap things up today, I've got a video I want you to see because we celebrate how Jesus changes lives for them to be ready for his coming again. Watch this video and then I'll get back up to close this out. This year I'm celebrating my relationships that I've already built, making them better, and celebrating being a mom again, uh, grandma to my grandkids, and 
to celebrate in all that recovery brings. All right, Amen. This year, I am most thankful for answered prayers and to be able to show God's hands and how he works in our life in his time through these answered prayers to my family and to others around me. Baptize your name, the Father, Son, and the Holy I love to see that. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> this year I'm celebrating a new family, a new home, and my first year of sobriety. Now with your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This year I'm celebrating just being alive after brain surgery, restoration of family, and just a new chapter in my life. Awesome. This year I'm celebrating a sober life in Jesus Christ and the restoration of family. Yes, that is awesome. Amen. This year I'm celebrating a lot of changes, um, some healing, uh, career change, um, getting a puppy, shout out. Um, and a lot of these things that are happening that would not be happening if it wasn't for the WFR family. Um, the season hasn't always been pretty, but thanks for always making me feel like I'm accepted and I belong. Yes, amen. This year I'm celebrating family, celebrating recovery, celebrating my church family, WFR, and my Working in 514 family, so grateful for my program and being here for 15 months. And I'm just so grateful and thankful for what Jesus has done in my life. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. When one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. When you change your life, you move the emotions of heaven. And that's what happened there. We heard some of us clapping and singing, celebrating. But what you didn't see was the thousands of angels that sang and rejoiced every time a person gave their life to Christ. And you and I, we get to be a part of it in the kingdom of God. And we're going to do it until he comes again. We're going to teach Jesus to people. We're going to be Jesus to people. And we're going to see Jesus in people. If you want to respond and be baptized today, we'll celebrate with you. And you'll cause angels to sing. If you want to change your life, if you have just something, a burden you need to, to share with the brothers, well, look, we'll do that too. Uh, we're all in this thing together, right? There's nobody closer to heaven than anybody else. We're just all a bunch of broken mess saved by the blood of Jesus and trying to, trying to be ready for when he comes again best we can, right?
and depending on his grace and his mercy. So if you have a need, would you come while together we stand and sing?